And um, we're starting a sermon series on um, Christmas movies. And I think we need to move the chairs a little bit closer because I feel like I'm far back with that. And so my wife and I are going to speak together, and uh, we're going to speak on a Christmas classic um, called A Christmas Story. How many of you have seen woo! Christmas Story? Woo, woo, woo. And so the, first, so the first clip that we're going to show is the one that just is entitled A Christmas Story um, for the tech team. So check this out, and uh, you'll see what we're talking about. Yes. The holy grail of Christmas gifts, the Red Ryder 200-shot range model air rifle. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? Horrified, I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle. What I want for Christmas is a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. Wow, that's great. A Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock and this no. Shoot your eye out. Oh, no. It was the classic mother BB gun block. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, no. You'll shoot your eye out? My mother must have gotten the Miss Shields. There could be no other explanation. You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. Shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. All right, so that's what we're talking about today. And, um, I'm having Ro speak with me because she's been speaking with me. We've been speaking together about once every five weeks or so. We've been doing a series throughout the year on marriage. And um, so we, we thought that instead of do, continuing that series, we would just do, uh, do this, this movie here, which has a lot going on about marriage and family life and home life. And um, we really hope that, that every time that we speak that it's not just applicable to people who are currently married. Um, we hope that it's applicable to, uh, to every, everyone, whether you're 15 years old or you're a teenager um, or if you're 75 or if you're 30-something and um, single or married. Um, regardless, we believe that the principles, really the principles of a godly relationship work in, 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 in every type of relationship that we have. So um, romantic relationships, friendships, things like that. And so and we thought this would be a great movie to talk about that. And um, before we get started, let me just do a little experiment. And um, I have you just turn to like two people, like so it's not just like um, somebody that you know. Turn to two people and ask them the classic Christmas question. I'll give you 30 seconds to ask this. All right, so the classic Christmas question is, what do you want for Christmas? All right, one, two, three, go. You got 30 seconds. Check in with people. Figure out two, two people what they want for Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> what do I'll tell I want for Christmas? A new house. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, somebody asked me, so I'll tell you. Same thing. <laughs> wow, you got a whole list going on. Some of you guys are just like, it's not, you're not, it's, there's no Santa Claus in here, okay? You don't have to tell them everything. Um, I want the same thing for Christmas that I always want, which is clothes and coffee. So there you go. It's the two C's. That's, that's really all I need. But, um, 
All right, so what were some of the things? What were some of the things that people want for Christmas? Like a like a PS4. Oh, oh boyfriend. Mary Ann got married. Whoa. <laughs> Mary Ann, you're already married. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just teasing. Um, but we do have single ladies in the church if anybody's interested. So there you go. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. That'll be I'm just saying. The I'm, not, I'm not looking anywhere. I'm just looking down. Um, maybe a PS4. Anybody say PS4? The PS4? Yeah, yeah, that's what Robbie got. He was just telling me PS4. No PS4s. Okay. That must be a guy thing. Um, TVs? Snuggies? Okay. <laughs> How many of you said, I don't know? How many of you said, I don't know? Okay. Wow. Okay. Quite a few of you. Um, all right. Well, we were, we, were, we were talking about this, um, about what we want for Christmas. And, and we, it's funny how the contrast is really between adults and kids. Because we thought, man, if we were to be able to go into the kids' room and, like, ask, like, right now go into City Kids and ask them, you know, what do you guys want for Christmas? I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be any I don't knows. I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be any. And there probably wouldn't be any clothes and coffee either, you know. Uh, but the truth is that as adults, we're not as passionate about, you know, what we want for Christmas. It's like, and, and really, if we are, it's kind of considered weird, right? It's kind of considered strange, kind of like um, the dad when he gets his, his leg lamp, you know? He's, he's, seen as, he's seen as odd when you obsess over things like that. It's like, something's not quite right with him. Um, but that's one, that's one of my favorite parts. It's funny. But anyway, he gets the leg lamp. But it, 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 it's one of the things that as kids, like when we, when we see kids, it's very normal for them to be passionate about something that they really, 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 really want for Christmas. And for, for Ralphie, I think it's one of the things that is endearing about him that he knows, right? He knows exactly what he wants and he wants it really, really bad. He wants a, a Red Rider, Red Rider 200 shot uh, uh, BB gun with a, with a compass in the stock, you know? He, like he, he wants it so badly. And I think there's a part of us as adults, we look at that and we say, that's really Sweet. That's really endearing. You know, I remember feeling that way about Christmas. And, and I think sometimes we, we as, as we mature, we, we feel less passionate about what we want for Christmas, which is fine. Um, but the truth is we're still, I think deep down inside of us, we're still kind of that same kid. We still have things that we really, really, really want. Um, they're just not necessarily things that you can buy for Christmas. Um, so, uh, you know, for instance, I, I talk to a lot of different people and sometimes I'll, I'll ask the question, I'll say, well, you know, things are going great for you financially, things are going great for you in your business, but, but what would, what would make you fulfilled in life? What, what, what would be the next step? I'm always, I'm always asking that question of people, what's the next step for you? And, um, so often, uh, it's not things that you can buy for Christmas, so often it's things actually that Ralphie already has. And I think that's one of the points of the movie actually that, that it's like he's so passionate about this BB gun and that's, that, that's cute. But really throughout the movie he has a family that really seems to kind of love him. Um, they're not a perfect family by any means, but he does have a family that seems to love him. And even after he gets the BB gun, remember he goes outside, he shoots it and he does like shoot his eye out. And um, he like leaves the BB gun there and is crying and his mom comes and rescues him. And it's almost like the movie is saying to some extent, and I know it's just kind of a funny movie, but to some extent, I think it's saying that really family is like more important than a BB gun, you know, um, to have that, to have somebody that 
somebody that loves you, somebody that cares for you, somebody that's there for you. And family is, is all sorts, but that, 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 that set of relationships I think is so important, especially as we walk into this holiday season. And so that's what we want to talk about is just the importance of um, the family environment. And for those of us that are parents, for those of us that are married, we are creating that family environment for our kids. We are, we are kind of the ones who are who are just de- determining whether or not our kids have that kind of environment. Um, but, but even for those who are single, um, you, you, you create that environment with your friends and with your, and with your, your parents and siblings. Um, but we really want to talk about um, how to have that, how to have that, 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 that great relationship and that great family. Um, and, and really some gifts, I think, that we can give this Christmas. That even that, that we saw in the movie, there were some gifts that were given um, that could help bolster that, that could help... Uh, improve that in our lives. Yeah. For me, it was the first time watching this movie this week. Um, She's from New Zealand, so... I guess in New Zealand we don't watch Christmas movies like you Americans do because every American I've talked to, they're like, you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life. You have not seen... I haven't seen Elf. I haven't seen The Grinch. All the ones that we're going to be talking on this That's why it took her so long to get the green card because they were like... <laughs> and that's why I had to marry you. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're so American. <laughs> it makes up for it. It makes up for it. It's like, oh, okay. Our children have got a 50-50 chance of being accepted. Okay. <laughs> so it was the first time I'd, I'd watched the movie. And I think the biggest thing that struck me, Harry was asking me after I watched it, you know, what did you notice about it? And I think for me, I noticed that the parents had what seemed to me to be such clearly defined roles. It was mm. from the 50s, I'm guessing. That I think the 40s is the what 40s. it's set in. Yeah. Okay. And um, and so, you know, in that culture, in that time period, um, people knew their roles and they lived out of them pretty comfortably. Um, different cultures and different decades have different roles. I come from New Zealand, as Harry just said, and in New Zealand, the culture for men and women um, who are cohabitating is that the man does just as much housework as the girl and the man looks after the children just as much as the girl. And I didn't realize that I came into our marriage with this expectation, but when the slacker doesn't do dishes, (laughs) let me tell you, (laughs) the New Zealand comes out in me. (laughs) Okay. When we first... When we first started dating, um, I would go over and visit at his house and I would cook dinner and I just assumed in my New Zealandness that he would do dishes because that was the rule in my house. Whoever cooks doesn't do dishes. Whoever didn't cook does the dishes. And so he didn't do the dishes. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, when you're dating, you forgive this sort of stuff. When we got married, um, I said, okay, you're going to do dishes. And he's like, got it, on it. Well, I would cook and the dishes wouldn't get done. So I'd be like, I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it. And then I would cook the next night and then the dishes wouldn't get done. So now we've got two days worth of dishes on the sink. And, and we got more clean dishes. <laughs> In the cupboards, ready to be used. We're good. That is not the right answer. <laughs> so the third night, I would cook, and I'd be like, baby, are you going to do the dishes? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm on it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, when? The house stinks. <laughs> Spray a little Febreze. It's all good. <laughs> this would not have happened in the 40s. They were clearly defined roles. <laughs> But no, I know in our marriage, we have worked really hard at first predefining what we want our roles to be, discussing it. You know, like I love being outside and I love doing outside work. I like building fences. I like mowing lawns. Um, Harry is allergic to anything that involves oxygen outside of the house. <laughs> if it is not air conditioned, he is not into that air. If I even open the windows oh, during the day when he's gone, he'll come in and he'll be like, it smells like the outdoors. I'm like, <laughs> it does. It's like all damp and stuff. Like. 
This is 2015, come on. <laughs> so, so, and we've predefined other roles. Um, often Harry will always, when I'm cooking dinner, Harry will occupy the kids, which is so wonderful. I don't know how you single mummies do it. I don't know how you cook and occupy your children. So that is a wonderful predetermined role mm. that we've done. And on a Saturday morning, Harry will often take the kids out so I can just clean the house in peace and, um, and have some time off. So we've discussed some things and we've predefined what those roles are going to be. And then we co-defend it. Together we stand and we say, okay, we have decided this as a couple and now together we're going to work on that and we both faithfully do what we said we would yeah, do. And I think it's so important to, it kind of cuts away at unspoken expectations, which regardless of what kind of relationship you're in, um, <laughs> unspoken expectations are bad. It's just bad. You got to get rid of those. Um, you really have to speak expectations. You really have to communicate um, what those expectations are. Because I think oftentimes what happens, especially in marriage, is that there are unspoken expectations. And then, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to do the dishes like when the dishes need doing. <laughs> And uh, we, we have run out of every dish in the whole right, place. Right, because when I was a bachelor, that's pretty much when the dishes got done, you know. Um, or you go buy new dishes. I've done, I've done that before. <laughs> I've also bought new, new underwear. It's easier to stop by Walmart. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's easier to stop by Walmart sometimes than to go to the, the laundromat, you know. So I, that's how I roll, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but, you, but, but she had a, a clear expectation that, like, every night the dishes would get done, you know. Like, um, I didn't see the point in that. So anyway, so, but, you, you, but you do have to come together. You do have to say, well, this is really important to you and this is really important to yeah. me. And so how do we make this work together? And I have to sacrifice some and she has to sacrifice some. But we... But we, but we work together. And this is true not just in a marriage. It's true in friendships as well. It's yeah. really good and healthy to say, this is really important to me, right? And um, it's really important to me. And, and like in dating, you know, this is like, it's really important that you don't like say important stuff on a text message. Mm. Come on, somebody. Um, you know, like I, I think it's good to have some clearly defined like expectations and roles. And that's fine. It's not, it doesn't mean you're selfish. It just means that you are expressing what's important to you. And then they can express what's important to them. Proverbs chapter three, and I, we, we have this scripture to put up for you. Proverbs chapter three, verse three says, um, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. This is so important as we go through this, through this holiday season, especially we step into this holiday season. What if we were to uh, hold on to these, these two gifts, steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love is, is basically, I'm, I'm going to be here for you. Regardless of what, what happens, I'm going to be here for you. But faithfulness is, I'm going to be here for you, and I'm going to be filling this, this, this role, and, and I'm going to keep doing it even when I don't feel like it. Because I think a lot of us are driven emotionally. We're driven, uh, you know, and, and that's why we don't clearly define roles, because it's like, well, everybody can sort of be responsible for everything so that when you don't feel like doing it, then you can get mad at somebody else for not doing it because you didn't feel like it this, 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 this particular day. But whenever you have a clearly defined role, then you stick, you kind of get in your lane and then you stick in your lane, you know, you stay in your lane. And, um, and I think this is good for a family. It's good for a church. It's good for, um, us as, as leadership to, to help define roles within the church and say, well, this is, this is a task we're asking you to do. And you don't, you're 
you're not responsible for everything, but you're responsible for this slice of it, you know? And, 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 and as we've been doing that, people get into their lane and they just, they just really exceed. They, they excel and they do very well when they don't have to worry about everybody else's stuff. It's just they know their expectations and they're able to run with that. And um, it, it helps in a business. It helps in any kind of relationship that you have to, to hold on to steadfast love and faithfulness. In fact, he says, bind them around your neck. <laughs> Tie them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. That's, that's, that's internal. So you have this external binding around your neck that says, I'm obligating myself to be faithful to you. I'm obligating myself to be um, loving toward you. But I'm also not just obligating from an external. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to, to change uh, the, the, the book of my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to change the script of the inside that says my natural response now is going to be love. My natural response is going to be faithfulness. And I think that's the process. You kind of start off by binding yourself to it and then you end up, mm. it ends up ingraining itself within you. Yeah. And I think in friendships as well as in marriage and within being in a community of people, mm. you find out what people are good at. I found out Harry is not good at the role of dishes. That was going to drive me crazy for life if I continued that mandate. So we have stopped that mandate. Well, she's very and much <laughs> against wasting water. Oh, gosh. And I'm very much about using water. This is like it goes in the drain, goes in the who, ocean, comes who back. Who does dishes with the tap on full bore the whole time they do dishes? Nobody. Stop it. It's so naughty. All we the teenagers. All the teenagers, 20-somethings. Oh, no, come on, somebody. As well. Golly, people. That's the way to Water dis- conservation. <laughs> Yeah, it's been around for a while. It's not like we're, it's not going away. It went away for it a while It goes away into the sky and comes back. <laughs> so anyway, you need to find out what people are good at. And so as we, as we define what roles we're going to play, um, we define what we're good at and then we walk in those. Mm. Don't force someone to do a role that they're just no good at. And it's just torture for them to accomplish it. Yeah. Let yeah. the person that's better at it do it. Yeah. All right. And then the, the, the second gift that we think we can give is sort of is, is – Emphasize in the opposite, actually, of this um, clip about the piggy, uh, about <laughs> about being mom's piggy. All right, you can check it out. Meatloaf, meatloaf, double beatloaf. I hate meatloaf. All right, all right, I'll get that kid to eat. Where's my screwdriver and my plumber's helper? I'll open up his mouth and I'll shove it in. Randy. My mother was more subtle. How do the little piggies go? That's right. Oink, oink. Now, show me how the piggies eat. This is your trough. Show me how the piggies eat. Be a good boy. Show mommy how the piggies eat. That's like one of the most awkward points in the whole movie for me. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> it's just so strange. And so I think that brings us to our second point. Obviously, this family was not perfect. No family is. Um, they did have clearly defined roles, and that was good. But um, one thing that they really struggled with was something called truthfulness. 
Um, they really struggle with truthfulness. For instance, the mom, even whenever the kid didn't want to eat, uh, she would always say, you know, there's starving kids in, in China who would love to have that, you know. And somehow, like, she's, she's trying to guilt him into eating, right, trying to shame him. It's like, you're stealing from kids in India, you know. And, and it's just not true. Like, he, he, could, he, he, he could, like, throw that meal away, and that's not going to help or hurt the kids in India, you know. And if he eats it all, it's not going to help the kids in India either. You know, there's kids in India aren't really affected by whether or not he eats his dinner or not. Um, and so she, but, but she's trying to create some kind of pressure, right? Some kind of guilt to put on him. And, and this is something that we, that we, that we feel the urge to do as parents. And I guess speaking specifically to parents is we feel the urge to try to manipulate our kids, to behave in a certain way by using tactics like that, by using tactics of guilt um, and shame, or in this case, by, uh, you know, pretending that he's a piggy and, uh, <laughs> and getting him to, to eat that way. I know with Rose's parents, she didn't like to eat her vegetables, so they would, they would take all the vegetables and like mash it up and call it coleslaw because she did like coleslaw and so they would feed her coleslaw and that's I how it was she, a brilliant plan that's my mother she, said she could put any vegetable in coleslaw and i'd eat it great yeah but we all kind of have ways of like um of not really of not really confronting children and not really dealing with children because in this instance you know, you know the mom is is creating sort of this false reality right it's not it's not the the real reality that here's some food that I made for you and you need to eat it. It's a false reality of like, you're a piggy and we're going to pretend to eat it. You know, it's kind of like the whole airplane thing, you know? And so we do things like that as parents and some of it's very innocent, but oftentimes it bleeds over into other areas of life. And we, we don't really give the gift of, of truthfulness. We give the gift of manipulation where we get them to do what we want them to do without really having to deal with what's really going on in their heart. Yeah. We, I think we can pretend that we're asking for their opinion when we're not really at all. Um, I used to do horse riding lessons, and so, you know, kids never wanted to leave the horse farm. They just didn't. And so I had some parents come along, and I, you know, would watch the different tactics on how parents got their kids to actually hop in the car after the riding lesson, get off the trampoline, stop playing with the goats, stop playing with the chickens and get in the car. And um, some parents were very direct. They're like, this is how it's going to go down. And usually the kids were all right with that. And then there were some that pretended they were asking the kid's opinion, but they weren't really. Because who's going to leave their kid at the farm? Nobody. So they, they come to their kid and they're like, do you want to go home yet, love? And the kid's reaction is going to be no. And the parent's like, hmm, okay. I really think you want to go home, sweetheart. We've got cookies at home. And the kid's still like, no. It's a little bribery. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of bribery pops in. So then the parent, you know, after about 10 more minutes, the parent's like, you want to go home. And the kid's like, no. As the parent's pulling, you want to go home. You want to go home. No. I'm These like, are not the joys we're looking for. Yeah. These are not the joys we're... <laughs> the kid did not want to go home. But, you know, the parent at the beginning was trying to pretend like they were asking for their opinion, but they weren't really. I mean, you know, the parent's not saying it's up to you whether we go home or not, sweet pea. They just want the kid to do it with a smile on their face, and they're trying to find a way to do that. Mm. We've found honesty works really well. Yeah, yeah, we've really found that, that truthfulness is a gift to give to each other as, 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 as husband and wife, but also to give to our children, to be, to be real with our children, that, that, you know, that you need to eat your food, 
<laughs> like, and that's just that's that's just that's just the way that it is because it's important. If you don't eat, you know, you end up dying from malnutrition. You know, so um, so you know, but but it's but it's more difficult this way. And one of the things that we found is that um, really the, the great question I think that we always ask ourselves is is um, is the gospel, which mm-hmm. the gospel is truth, is the gospel being displayed in our family? Is the gospel being displayed in our parenting? Because there's a lot of different parenting styles, certainly, and there's a lot of techniques and a lot of teaching out there, and we haven't really researched all of it. Um, For us, we want to parent like God parents, and God doesn't usually trick us into doing things. You know, he doesn't usually say, Harry, I want you to go plant a church. Just kidding. I just want you to move to Austin. You know, that's not, that's not the way that he, that's not the way that he works. You know, Harry, you're going to be a space ranger. Really? That's awesome. No, just kidding. You're going to be a church planter. You know, that's not really how God, God doesn't make up stories in order to get us to do things and then pull the rug out from under us later. He doesn't make us think that, hey, it's up to us if we want to go home and then no, it's really not. I'm just going to drag you, you know, kicking and screaming. It's really, you know, that false reality, God doesn't deal with that. God only deals with with truth. And so the gospel comes to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to us in the medium of truth as well. So when the Bible says that Jesus came as a child uh, born of a virgin Mary, it literally means that he came as a child born of a virgin Mary and he, he, he lived a sinless life and he died and he rose again in order to rescue us sinners from our sin. And that is the basic essence of the gospel. I think it's Timothy Keller who, who puts it like this. He says basically the gospel says that we are more deeply flawed than we ever imagined, but we are more deeply loved than we ever dreamed. Yeah. And so those are, those are the two realities of the gospel, that, that we are messed up, that we need a savior. But... The other reality is that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and he has done everything necessary to save us, to rescue us. And um, for us, in our, within our parenting, bringing the gospel into the parenting, uh, f- for us has been very important because there's kind of two sides to, this, to this, this road. There's the side that the mom takes in the story. The mom says, I'm not going to confront the child. I'm just going to sort of trick the child. And then there's the side that the dad takes, right? And he's going to get a crowbar and he's going to like shove it down their throat. And so for this passage, uh, we want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, because neither one of those are very Good. He's uh, in Ephesians chapter six. Apostle Paul says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up." And that's that's the key phrase, I think. Bring them up. Actually, bring them up. Build them up. Build them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so this is what we want. We want the gospel, the instruction of the Lord. And technically in, in the original language there, it simply means to instruct them about the Lord, the, the, that the Lord would be the center of your home, that Jesus wouldn't just be a story that you tell at bedtime, but that Jesus would actually be a part of, 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 of our parenting. And so for us, that means we have to go back to the heart. We have to go back to the source of all of our action. Jesus said that out of the heart um, comes adultery. Out of the heart comes anger. Out of the heart comes everything. And Proverbs says to guard your heart above all things because out of your heart um, springs all of your life, all of your action flows out of your heart. So whenever we have a child who's not eating their dinner, whenever we have a child who's throwing a temper tantrum, because that always, that happens. Whenever we have a child who's dealing with something in their life, um, we don't just want them to act right. Because then we're just teaching them to be a Pharisee, right? We're just teaching them to be religious. We're teaching them to, okay, all right, you just put that aside. Just, just wipe that, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just act right. And that's, that's, not, that's not 
that's not good either because you're just teaching them just to act a certain way. Actually, whenever bad action springs up out of, the, out of their heart, then that's a sign that there is some roots in their heart of some bad things. And, um, and, and I, I think this type of parenting brings a lot of humility mm. because um, I kind of come from a family. We're, we're a little more like the dad side <laughs> of things. Some, you know, my mom and dad are more like, we'll get a crowbar and shove it into your mouth kind of thing. <laughs> Sorry, mom, if you're watching. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's not, that's not the way it was all the time. But I'm saying that's, that's more the leaning of our, of our family. It's more the way we would go. Whereas uh, I think you're a little more of the side of let's, 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 let's make coleslaw out of, out, out of everything. And so... You know, together we, we each bring some of these perspectives in into our marriage, and the and then the truth is that the gospel is 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 really neither 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 one of those, and and both of those I think we do them because they feel good to us as parents. So um, when we first started parenting, I was very much the disciplinarian, and so I walk into a room and I was like the judge and the jury, you know, and I could figure out exactly what had happened. Exactly. If I could, if I could just figure out what had happened, I would tell them exactly what was wrong about that, you know, cause I'm really good at telling people what's wrong. So, um, I would come in and I would be like, no, this is wrong. And here's why, you know, you can't hit your sister and here's why, cause it's not nice and blah, blah, blah. And so then, and, and so I'm, so I'm the jury and the judge and, the, and then I'm also the executioner, you know? And so I would, I would execute judgment, uh, you know, pretty, pretty quickly deal with it and then and then kind of go about our day and then and it was it was good I mean we I did it from a place of love I wanted our kids to be well behaved and to respectful and all that kind of thing but it wasn't um it wasn't really getting the result that we wanted it was getting kids that behaved well and and obeyed but would still lash out and do things that was like well wait a minute you, you can't do that either I know we haven't talked about it but you can't do that you know this is not good there was still like heart things that were coming out and 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 what I found is that there, it, within my disciplinarian view of parenting there was no room for the gospel because you can't be like all right this is wrong so you're going to get punished that's wrong you're going to get punished all right stop being wrong and by the way Jesus saves and there's grace and there's mercy and those things don't fit you know, you can't just talk about Jesus. You have to wait until the crying's over, and then you have to talk about Jesus like at bedtime or the bedtime story, you know. And the same is true with, with, with the other way of parenting, kind of trying to, to, to manipulate people in, into that. You, you, you can't bring about the gospel because there's no, there's no need for the gospel. You're obviously perfect just the way that you are. You know, you really don't need God. And so you have to come together and, and, and bring the gospel into into your parenting especially, and into your relationships. The, the gospel should be the central figure. And so, so you say, well, well, how do we make the gospel central? Well, it's, it's real simple. Whenever, whenever we start dealing with our child's heart, number one, it puts us on the same playing field. Um, because I think whenever you come in as a disciplinarian, you're like, I can't believe you did that. Why would you do that? that those statements can't be around whenever you're dealing with the heart. Because I can believe that they do those things because they came from me, you know, <laughs> because they're flawed, just like I'm flawed. They're in fact, they're messed up pretty much the same way I'm messed up, you know, and the way that we are the, some of the same issues and hangups we have, we see in our kids. So I know exactly why Madden does what she does, you know, and that's not comforting to me. That's not good because I know where that comes from. I know about pride. I know about uh, feeling of superiority. I know about I, I know about some of the stuff that she struggles with. And Ro knows a lot about what Micah struggles with. And so we can actually sympathize with them. And so that's what I that, that's what I do. I'll, I'll sit and I'll talk to Madden. I was talking to Madden one night and we we're talking about where the standard is. 
Um, and this is, this, this is found in 1 John, really, throughout 1 John. Uh, you see that the standard is love. Over and over again, John says, children, beloved, dear friends, love one another. That's the standard. That's the standard for, for your relationships as a parent to child, also brothers and sisters, also church community. This is the standard that we would love one another. Not that we would get along, not that we would tolerate, not that we would act nicely toward each other, but no, that we would love one another. Okay, well, what, does, what, what, what kind of love is John talking about? Well, John says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's love, and that's the standard. And so as I talk to our kids, I say, guys, you, you know, the Bible says that you have to love your brother and love your sister. And so I talk to Madden and say, honey, you know, that's not loving toward your brother. And so finally, she finally broke down one night and she said, I don't know how to love my brother. <clears throat> and that was such a sweet moment because that was reality. That's really the truth. And I can associate with that. I don't know how to love people either. I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not an expert at loving others. I'm an expert at loving myself. <laughs> Pretty good, got that covered. But loving other people, that doesn't come naturally to me. And that's really the source of so much contention is the selfishness. That it doesn't come natural to anybody. Nobody just naturally wants to lay down their life for somebody else. It doesn't happen. And so I said to Madden, I said, Madden, you know what? I have the same problem. And sometimes I don't want to love people. And sometimes I don't want to love you guys, right? Because sometimes you guys are annoying. And uh, you do things that are annoying. And, you know, and sometimes I don't feel like loving, you know, Row. And sometimes I don't feel like loving people in the church. I remember when I was uh, pastoring at Promised Land, because it's never happened with City Chapel. So when I was when I was associate pastor at Promised Land, there was, this, there was this person I was dealing with. And they were so, they were so hurt that they were hurting other people. They're just lashing out all the time. And this person was under me in, uh, in, with respect to the ministry I was over. And so I had a meeting with that person and this other person. And this person just didn't want to fix anything. They, they were right. Everybody else was wrong. And so I was going to have another meeting and just tell this person that, uh, you know, there's the door. And God bless you. God love you. May the Lord watch between you and me while we are apart, one from another. Uh, quoting a little scripture. You know, it's just going to have that sort of meaning where it's like, well, you just can't, we, we can't treat people this way, right? We can't, we can't, we can't say that to people. We can't be, I can't act like that. It's not, it's not okay. And um, the night before the meeting, I was just in prayer and, and uh, you know, I was just, the Lord really showed me. Uh, like a vision of me, like going to like 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 I, like I was like a doctor, and I was like cutting out this little cancer, and I was throwing it away out of somebody's body. And the Lord kind of showed that to me, and He said, He said that person that you think is a problem is actually one of my kids. So don't throw them away. And I'm like, well, God, we can't have people, you know, doing that. We can't have them acting that way. And He says, I no, I know they they, they shouldn't be acting that way. So help them, help them act the right way. Talk to them about what's really going on in their heart. And so I met with this person, and um, I said, would you like to meet one-on-one -on -one for a while and do some mentoring and just get to know you better and help you? And it was kind of, it was good. It was a good pastoring experience for me. I learned that, you know, problems are not people. People are not the problem. 
The problem is the hurt inside of them and, and stuff that the enemy's done. And so when you get to the heart, you get to the person, and you just help them get that stuff out and just help them grow and build them up. And then I realized I wasn't doing that with my own kids. I realized I was seeing them as their behavior as a problem, and we just need to cut that and get rid of it. And then the Lord was like, well, wait a minute. Aren't you like supposed to be the pastor of the home? Aren't you supposed to be like helping your child grow? And so for me, the gospel, it became part of the narrative, became part of the story that, Madden, you know what? You can't love your brother, and I really can't love anybody either. It's Jesus that helps me do that. It's Jesus that comes inside of me and helps me love people. Because I'm way too selfish on my own. I'm way too caught up in what I'm doing on my own. I need a Savior. And you need a Savior, Matt. And you need a Savior. You need somebody. You need God. I can't. You, Dad's not going to help you. You need God to come inside of you and change your heart. It's the only way you're going to love your brother. And so this is applicable. Obviously, if you have toddlers, it's very helpful, I think, if you start very early. But even if you have teenage kids and they're going out of control, why don't you give the gift of truthfulness this holiday season? Why don't you sit down and say, okay, I'm not saying this is okay. I'm not saying the actions and behavior is okay, but, but I really care about you. And so I want to help understand what's going on in your heart that's causing this stuff to come out. And I want to understand how I can help you. And, 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 I, and I want to tell you the way that God's helped me. Because whenever we start talking about heart issues, then suddenly it's not like, well, I never hit anybody. I never steal anybody's toys or candy or anything like that. But I do other stuff <laughs> that's kind of like that, actually. And so I can associate with you. I'm a sinner like you. I sin like you. And I need God like you. I'm more deeply flawed than I thought, but I'm more deeply loved than I had ever dreamed. God has come for us sinners to rescue us, to save us. I was talking to Micah about that the other day, and Micah was like, how you be so good, Dad? <laughs> he's, he's four. And uh, I said, Micah, like, the same God that helps me be so good, he wants to help you be so good. He wants to help you change your attitude. He wants you. He wants. He wants to help you love your sister. Because I think what we often do is we lower the standard. Because we don't like the standard of love, so we lower it to like, well, we have to get along with each other. Well, we have to put up with each other. We have to be nice. You have to be nice. Just be nice, right? And so we tell our kids, just be nice. You know. But it's also how we think in a Christian community too. It's like, well, just be nice. You don't have to love that person. You know, you can still not talk to that person. You can still have stuff between you and the other, but just be, as long as you're nice, everything's all right. But it's not okay. John actually um, was the oldest disciple. He's the, he, John, the guy who wrote First John, he outlived all the other disciples. And um, there was a, there was a early, a, there was an early Christian leader named Jerome, and he wrote a lot of church history. And one of the things that, 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 that he wrote about was the meetings that John would come to. And John was so old that he wouldn't really preach anymore, but they would always have him give the benediction. They always ask old St. John to give the, benedic the benediction. And so his benediction was always the same. And he would say, friends, let us love each other. And some of the disciples, uh, the early church, they were like, why does John keep saying that? <laughs> like, same thing. We already heard that sermon, John. And so they asked him, they said, John, why do you say that all the time? And John said, because if we do that, 
we will have done enough. And you gotta remember, John is one of the guys that Jesus called the sons of thunder. Remember when he was a disciple of Jesus, when he was a teenager, he was called the son of thunder. In other words, everywhere he went, he created a storm. <laughs> That's what John was like. John was like, ah, this, this guy is doing the wrong thing. We need to, you know, just tell them, let's get that right. Let's fix that. And, and he was the son of thunder. But after John got the Holy Spirit inside of him, John changed his tune. And John said, you know what? We really just need to love each other. And love doesn't mean that we ignore stuff, but love means that we care enough to actually take the time to be truthful with each other. Because that's one of the issues is we ju we're just so busy. Our lives are so busy. We're, we're shopping, especially in this season, man, it's crazy. Don't let your kids just take the back seat of your life. Don't let your spouse take the back seat. Don't let, don't let the, the, the Christian relationships and friendships that you have here, don't let those just, just be brushed aside while you're so busy shopping and doing stuff that doesn't really matter, you know, getting leg lamps and stuff. You know, like, uh, don't, let, don't let the unimportant stuff be greater than the real gift that you could be giving to people. The real gift is steadfast love and faithfulness and truthfulness. I sit down with you and I say, look, I really appreciate you. I really, I, I, I really love who you are in my life. I love what you do. And I love your love for God. And we have difficult conversations as well. Everything good? Yeah, it's good. I'm just enjoying this one. <laughs> and, um, and, let's, and, and let's just continue to talk about the law of God, which is to love. There's no other law. There's not a dress code. There's not, there's not, uh, there's not a music listening code. There's not a movie watching code. We get caught up on that stuff. We're like, oh, so and so's doing stuff they shouldn't do. The real, the real issue is love. That's the only law that God has left us to love one another and to love God. Those, those are the, those are the issues. And so, and so let's let's make the main thing the main thing because it's within this law that we find freedom. I think sometimes we think that freedom and liberty comes from getting rid of all shackles and all laws, but it's not. It's like, it's almost like uh, your, your children and you and me, we are, we're like a train. And, and when we get on the track, that's when we can actually move because there's like thousands and bazillion pounds of weight. And if it gets off the track, it doesn't move. But when we get on the track of love, that's how we move forward. That's how we change. That's how we develop. That's how we be who we're called to be. And we present Jesus within our families and all of the messed up parts of our families. What I, what I also like about the Christmas story is that there's some good stuff about the families and then there's some bad stuff. You know, for instance, Ralphie, he, uh, we were going to show the clip, but we're not going to now. But Ralphie, like in the very beginning of the movie, Ralphie is racing to the closet to get his brother out of the way, right? So he throws his brother out of the way of the closet um, so that he can get in the closet. And that kind of happens throughout the movie. It's like this brother's always in the way, and he's always throwing his brother out of the way, his little brother. But then there's that time, remember, when, like, his brother can't get his arms down? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and he goes out in the snow, and he falls over, and Ralphie says, hold on a minute, and he goes back and helps him up. It's like there's that duality. It's like sometimes he's nice to his brother, and then other times he's just like, just, you know, just, 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 just get out of my way. And I think that's, that, that's the reality, really, of most of our families. There are parts of our families that we love, and there are parts that we really don't want to talk about, we really don't like. 
But I think the, the key is to choose to give these gifts, the gift of faithfulness and the gift of truthfulness, even in the midst of an imperfect family. To say we're not where we want to be. We're not where we think we should be. But that's not going to stop us from taking the next step, from moving a little bit closer to where we should be, from giving, deciding to give the gift of truthfulness and the gift of, of steadfast love and faithfulness. And for us, it's been a huge learning process. So I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Madden's six years old, almost seven. Micah's four. And I still sit down with Madden and Micah, and I just scratch my head because I don't know why they did what they did. <laughs> and that's a big part of parenting is taking the time to figure it out and ask them, why did you do that? And they'll say, I don't know. <laughs> and they'll say, okay, well, were you feeling this, 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 this? Yes, I was feeling that. Okay, now why do you think you were feeling that? And we start, we start dealing with the heart to be able to hopefully introduce them to Jesus. That should be the point, the, the center of every, not only pieces of discipline, but even just our central life. So every day you have a character quality, every week have a different character quality in a scripture from Proverbs that, that they read through and that they memorize and that they talk about. And it's always dealing with, with one of these character qualities that we want to see. We want to see kids that are loving. We want to see kids that are thoughtful. We want to see kids that um, are helpful. And uh, all these things are very, very good. And then, I, and I think you even bribe them a little bit, give them money. Sure, bribery. There's yeah. always money involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it's not like, you know, we have everything quite worked out yet either. But, um, but we're trying. And the truth is that wherever you're at, there's grace for you. And there's mercy for you. And there's the power of the gospel for you. Jesus can come into your family or into your dating relationship or non-dating relationship in, into your singleness and can empower you to love and to be faithful in the lane that he's put you in right now and to share the truth of the gospel um, with people. And it starts really with inviting him into your heart. It starts with inviting him in, into your life. And so every service, we always want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And if you would like to invite Jesus into your life and into your heart, um, just raise your hand with me and just say, that's me. I want to make that decision to invite him in, to welcome him into my heart, my home. That's awesome. That's awesome and pray with me if you're wanting to make that decision. Just say, dear God, I need you. I'm sorry for going my own way. I choose today to follow you 